I'm going to go ahead and assume that God had different plans for us this morning. Because sometimes we get into a moment we recognize that God is doing something different than we had planned to do. I think as a leader and as a pastor, I've learned that over the past couple years, as I think a lot of us have learned, that we try to lay out our plans. We try to say, this is what I'm going to do. This is how things are going to go. And then there's always something that changes. There's always something that impacts us. There's always the next shoe to drop, especially if you're looking for them. And you start to see that the plans that you had aren't necessarily the plans that you're going to have to live with. And so for us, it's learning how to trust. It's learning how to adapt. It's learning how to see in what ways can we shift as people And then think about this as a community, as a church, in what ways can we shift as a church to be faithful to what God is doing, to recognize and see how he is moaning, to not not say, God, this is where I'm going. I hope that you will catch up with us and meet us when we get there, but instead have the spiritual capacity to say, God, you are moving somewhere and I want to meet you there. That's the way that it's supposed to look. Not, God, I'm going this way. Would you come along with me? But, God, I see you there, and I'm going to meet you there in that moment. This morning, we're going to start a new series, and this is Luke 15. There are three parables that we find in this chapter of Luke. This is in the lectionary, so there are churches all around the world that today we'll be talking about these first two parables. But I thought they were so good and they're, and they're so great, I said, let's push that out a little bit more. So today we begin this series. And then over the next couple weeks, as you join us online at 9.30 on our stream, then I'm going to continue the teaching over the next couple of weeks as well. And the series is called Lost and Found. And it's the idea of a lost sheep and a lost uh, coin. I almost said lost boy, a lost coin. And a lost son. But there's a couple different things that we're going to learn in there because you look at that and you say, well, maybe that those three teachings just have something to do with one thing, but really there are so many things that we can find within them. So the first one we come to do today is verses one and two, and so we're going to open up with those. This is Luke 15, 1, 2. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. One of the plans that we had to change over the past couple years is something that we do at our house that we love. And if you know us very well, you know that Jill and I love parties. She is an excellent host of parties. She is the one who always thinks through the details to make sure there's enough ice and enough drinks and enough food and all those things that I don't really worry about. I just make sure that everybody's having a really good time. My goal is to try to invite as many people as I can because I think one of the greatest things you can have at a party is half of the people you don't even know. And so this last weekend on Labor Day, we had a party, and I looked around, and I think we did pretty well. I knew a lot of the people, but I looked around, and I said, I don't know half these people, and this is a great party then. This is is how you do things. So if you want to know how to run a party, make sure you don't know people because you never know what's going to happen, right? So get your friends to invite people, and it's going to be a great time. So we had this party, and um, it's a party that we've done in the past, and we haven't gotten to do it the past couple years, and um, there's no other way to tell you this, but that most people on Labor Day probably didn't celebrate with the thing that we celebrated with. Most people on Labor Day have hot dogs, might have burgers, right? 
might have some watermelon or something. I don't know. You know, you're going to have, you know, pretty traditional food. What do we celebrate with on Labor Day weekend? Does anybody know? Spam. That is right. And everybody who is new today looks around and says, wow, these people are really weird. Yes, yes. We celebrate with spam. So I'm not going to tell you the whole genesis of the story. I don't have time this morning because I'm going to rush through the sermon anyways. Stick with me, if you will. The Colts can wait for us this morning. But the Spamapalooza, what started, the whole genesis of the story was a friend. He picked up a bag from, I think it was Aldi or Kroger or something, and he brought it home and he opened the bag and he had grabbed somebody else's bag. And in that bag were a couple cans of Spam. He was so revolted by the reality of the Spam. He's like, I don't even know what I would do with this, which caused me to go, oh, there's so many things we could do. And I said, if you don't know what to do with it, maybe we could hide the Spam. Well, long story short, we found out He had been eating Spam for most of his adult life because his mother-in-law made a dish and it was Spam was in it. He thought was just ham. Well, truth be told, it was Spam. And so we said, well, are there other ways that you could hide Spam? Could you make it creative? Could you make it maybe more delicious? So I'll show you the picture some other time. We had what we call Spamapalooza. Next year is going to be an official church event. I'm just done with this. Labor Day weekend, we're just having a big party because there's something holy about opening a can of Spam because it's an act of trust, my friends, because Spam does not have an expiration date. It has a best buy, which I think is a dare you try it after. I think, I think it's a temptation is what's happening there stamped right on the side of that can. So we have a great time with it. It's so fun. Anybody that wins most delicious or most creative, they have to take home that trophy and they have to add to that trophy. And so it's always trying to see what can happen next with the trophy. So anyway, so we had this big spam celebration. As I started to think about it, you know, I love spam. I love the party. I love all the cars that are pulling in. Then I began to think about my neighbors because most of the time, I try to be a pretty good neighbor. And then you get to Spamapalooza. And I am turning my speakers to 11. Because we are going to play every Spam-adjacent song that we can find. And yes, there are Spam-adjacent songs. There are songs that talk about Spam. There are songs from 1937, which was the founding of Spam. Or you can go to the 25th, 50th, 75th anniversaries of Spam. It gets a little weird because you get into 2012 and things get a little strange. But it's awesome. But here's the deal. Do my neighbors love the sounds of spam-adjacent songs floating through the neighborhood? Probably not. Do they love the smell of bloat in a can? I bet they don't. They probably look at it and say, this is not something that I want to be a part of. So as I began to think about this, I thought of how does this fit into the text that we're talking about today? And you're probably wondering the exact same thing. But see, when misunderstood, listen to this, when misunderstood, one person's celebration, a countless stream of people showing up, can easily become dreaded and annoying to someone else. No matter how great your celebration is, no matter the joy on your face, the excitement in your heart, the reality of the moment, The countless stream of cars, the people coming to that celebration can eventually look like dread or annoyance to someone else. And that's what we find in Luke chapters 14 and 15. The book of Luke tells the story of the life and teachings of Jesus. 
And Luke 15 is all about parties and gatherings, people sitting around tables and eating together. And while they didn't have spam at the time of Jesus, it was common to have a big party. But you wouldn't open your doors to just anyone. You wouldn't just open your doors to any person, particularly if you were part of a class of people known as the Pharisees or the teachers of the law that we see here in this passage. These religious leaders, they had a reputation to keep, and they were disgusted by the idea of being seen with sinners and tax collectors. But that same affiliation with sinners and tax collectors wasn't a problem for Jesus, which is why we read these words. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So first we see that the, the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they weren't frustrated by Jesus as much as who he welcomed to the table to eat with him. Just let that hang for a minute. Let that sit for a second. They weren't mad at Jesus. They were mad at the, Jesus, the people that Jesus was inviting. Tax collectors were people from the local community who collected taxes for the conquering Romans. They often skimmed off the top by charging a higher rate, so they weren't just traitors, they profited off injustice. We've talked to them before. Nobody likes a tax collector. Sinners was then a little bit more of a general category of people who struggled to stay within the impossible boundaries that the Pharisees had created. Earlier today, I told Kevin and Anna, look, we're not trying to create some impossible thing that you can't live up to. For the Pharisees, that was exactly what they were trying to do. They wanted to create a level of righteousness that nobody could live up to because then they themselves could live up to that righteousness. I can't imagine that any of us look at anybody else in the world and ever think like that, do we? We don't ever look around and say, well, if everybody was as perfect as me in this area, then things would be just fine because they're not. We all do that a little bit, but that's exactly how the Pharisees kind of did things. They created their own righteousness. It's easy to think of others as unclean when you set the rules. But that's what the Pharisees had done. Sinners were hopeless, out of touch with demands they couldn't keep. So we move on and we continue. We get to the next couple of verses here. So this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus hears them say this. Can you believe this, guys? Can you imagine Jesus sitting there? He's hanging out. He's having dinner. He's with these people, the Pharisees, the teacher of the law, are by, you know, behind him somewhere hanging around. And they're like, I can't believe this guy. Look at the people he is eating with. So Jesus either heard this because they were trying to have him hear it, a little good microaggression taking place, or they were saying it really quiet, and Jesus somehow still was able to hear what they said because he answered them with a parable. So then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together, and he says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Which, guys, I read this parable, and I go, do people really do that? Jesus makes this like this is a normal thing to do. But it's really kind of abnormal when you think about it. He says, isn't this what normal people would do? They would just leave all of their sheep and go after that one? Not worry about their profit, not worry about all these good sheep that they have over here. They're going to go chase that one. So instantly, you're kind of caught in this reality of asking yourself, well, is that what people do? 
And then he says, when you go get that sheep, you call and you call all your friends. You go, guys, you won't believe what I did. I found the one sheep. Because your friends look at you and they answer and they say, you left the 99? What is wrong with you? Why would you leave them to go after the one? Now, see, Jesus is turning the tables. He's saying things look different. He's saying, no, 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 this is, what, this is what it should look like. This is how things should be. So he says, when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, goes home, calls his friends, his neighbors. He says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Then Jesus says, I tell you in the same way. So here's this point. In the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. See, the only thing different about that one sheep was that it was lost. For the people hearing this story, the sinners and the tax collectors, with the eyes of the Pharisees burning resentment toward them, this must seem incredible. There's no difference. There's no difference between you and them. The only difference is who is lost. They didn't have to earn God's love like they were taught. They didn't have to earn Jesus' respect like they expected. They were the ones being sought out, looked for, celebrated when they were found because they were welcomed into a banquet, a party, a celebration of God's love and grace. So I don't know if you're sitting here today and you feel like you have to do that next great thing that's going to impress God. Stop. You don't have to. Maybe you're worried about, well, I, you know, I don't know how Jesus feels about me, you know, whatever. I've got this stuff in my life, whatever. Like, Jesus is saying that's no. You're the one who's being sought at. You're the one that he is looking for. You're you're the one that he loves. You are being invited to a banquet and a party and a celebration. Now, Jesus had set all of this up. The way Luke tells the story, the way Luke puts all of this together is that Jesus is responding to these Pharisees, but what had already happened was this whole conversation had already been set up a chapter before. Which is why I always say one of the greatest things you can do is when you read a scripture, even when you think that you have an idea of what it might mean, read around it because it will begin to fill in the gaps and make it even more meaningful. So if we back up and we come to Luke 14, listen to this. Jesus was sitting with a group of people. It says that he replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, come. For everything is now ready. Well, the invited guests, one by one, declined the invitation. So a couple verses later, the host made a grand gesture. In verse 22, it says, Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. The banquet is a parable by Jesus to remind us that God is throwing a party. 
and everyone is invited to his party. And you and I can be the kind of people who see the banquet before us and we can build bigger walls to keep people out or we can use those same materials to build bigger tables and invite everyone to the banquet that God has prepared. It's this mentality. It's this mentality when we, when we live like that. So let, let me just say this again because I want to make this clear. I want to make this point. If we come to the table, if we come to the banquet and we see the banquet before us, there, is going to be, there, there are two options that come right in front of us right away. We can look at that banquet and we can say, wow, this is amazing. This is great. I deserve to be here. But I can think of a couple people that I don't want here. So I'm going to take the rest of the tables that are around here that aren't full yet with people. I'm just going to take all the stuff. I'm going to throw it all off because they're not going to need it. And I'm going to use those, and I'm going to start building some fences and some walls, and I'm going to put some around this. And then I'm going to put a door in as well, because clearly I deserve to be the one standing at the door telling people, hey, you don't get to come in because I'm here first, right? Or the other option is the option that Jesus wants for all of us, the option that he's trying to tell these Pharisees and the teachers of the law as they're looking with side eye at the people that Jesus is sitting with. Instead, what you do is you say, hey, you know what? I bet there's a way that I can rearrange some of these seats. You know what? I bet actually at this, at this table that I'm sitting at, I bet I can make room for all of these people to come and sit with me at this one table. I'll just move everything around. Let's just squish together. Let's get butt tight to each other as tight as we can in this one place and sit next to each other and celebrate and feast and eat together. Because if we get really tight and really close together and all of us come into this one table and we're all celebrating together, this is pre-COVID, folks, is what's going on here. We're all coming together. Then I can take those other tables that are now all the stuff that was on them. It's now on this one table. I'm going to take all those materials and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build even more tables. Because I'm realizing that not just these people that I can see are the ones that need to come in, but other people outside that I can't even see beyond that. There are more and more tables that need to be built. And so my job, my job, is to build more and more and more of those tables. And my job isn't to stand at the door to tell everybody, hey, you don't get to come in unless I tell you to. My job is to stand at the door and say, hey, come on! It's ready! You ever hear one of those dinner bells? Start shaking that thing all over the place, right? It's ready, come on! Now, here's the thing, guys. Do I have time for this? Sure. A lot of us, this is how we think about it. Yeah, I, I go to church. I like Jesus. Are you sure? Sometimes I think people look at us, and they look and they say, are you sure you're excited about this Jesus thing? Because you don't seem to be. Or they say, are you sure you're really sure about this Jesus thing? Because you seem to put a lot of hope and trust in a whole lot of stuff that doesn't look like Jesus to me. See, instead, we're supposed to be the people. We got a little crazy going on. We got something better than Spamapalooza. I want people to be like, man, there is a party happening. 
There is a banquet taking place. I want people to say, man, I want to be part of that. And I'm going to tell you what, if we lived like that, the people who are going to get really excited about that are people who are on the outside. It's the people on the inside. I want other Christians looking at us and being like, you guys are weird. You guys are goofy. Good. Good, because then maybe some people who aren't following Jesus will look at this and say, this seems kind of cool and different. Because what you guys are talking about seems really boring. But I'm excited about this. I want to build more tables. So guys, if we could get around that, if we could shift our mindset and realizing the resources that we have in front of us are for us to build bigger tables, if we would get that in our minds, if we get the idea of the excitement of a banquet in our mind, everything could look different. It's this mentality that has allowed us over the last 10 years, and we're, gonna, we're about to celebrate an anniversary in just a couple weeks, over the last 10 years to be a different kind of church, to have church anywhere and everywhere for anyone and everyone. I came up with that this week. I called my friend Greg, and I said, Greg, I said, you know what's cool about us? We can be a church for any, anywhere and everyone. Sorry, let me say it again. Anywhere and everyone for... Anywhere and everywhere for anyone and everyone. <laughs> That's the kind of church that we can be. That's the kind of church that we have been over the last couple of years. Our plans got ruined. And then we made new plans. And you want to know what happened to those plans? They got ruined again. And all of a sudden, now we're sitting, we're having church, we're coming together on the first Sunday, we're gathering our homes on the other days of the week. Why? Because God is doing something and we get to meet him there. We don't say, this is where we're going. God, will you join us? We say, God, you're going somewhere and we're going to come with you there because I have an opportunity in my house to build bigger tables and you have an opportunity in your house to build bigger tables that we could never do here. We don't have the resources to have this space every week. Praise Jesus. We don't. We don't have the budget to rent here every week and have kids ministry every week and do all those things we used to do. Good. The pandemic almost killed our church, and it's the greatest thing that ever happened to us because we get to share Jesus in ways that we could never have imagined, guys. You realize that? But will we do it? Do we have the guts? Do we have the creativity? Do we have the willingness to try? Well, I would rather fail at trying to do that than succeed at doing the wrong thing. Sorry. <laughs> what if, hear me out, guys. What if we became a church anywhere and everywhere for anyone and everyone? I don't know what the future holds. Maybe a future season looks different, but what if in this season we reimagined? We utilized our resources. We created margin in ways we never could have imagined before. And our homes become places where we break bread, fellowship, pray together, seeing our live stream not as an option but as a possibility to share our good, the good news of Jesus with our neighbors and our community and our family and our friends. If we did this, we wouldn't be alone. Listen to these verses. Colossians 4.15. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea, to the Nympha and the church in her house. 1 Corinthians 16.19. The churches in the provinces of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets in their house. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, Philemon, our dear friend, fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets 
in your home. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Will you with me build bigger tables? You might feel called today in this moment to make more space, rearrange cars, rearrange furniture because there are people God has put on your mind to invite to experience the grace and the love and the good news of Jesus. Will you join other people in creating those spaces? How will you respond to the parable? Will you accept the invitation? Will you host? Will you come? Will you help? And what would it look like if a bunch of us said, over the next couple weeks, I'm having a house church. I'm going to look like Aquila, Priscilla. I'm going to look like what happened in Philema. I'm going to gather people in my home. And then we're going to come together on first Sunday with a bunch of house churches, with a bunch of new people, because we've all invited people to come and be a part. And we're going to reimagine and do things different. What would anniversary Sunday look like? Would anniversary look like an opportunity to look back on things that were were? Or would anniversary Sunday look like a launching point to go into the next season, to share Jesus with this world, to meet God where God is already moving? Can you guys imagine? Let's pray together. Father, In this space today, we've made a commitment to a family to come alongside them and to support them. Father, we've made commitments to each other. We talked about being the kind of church that breaks bread together, that fellowships together. God, we have an opportunity to come together next week. Not waiting, but coming together next week, all of us together to celebrate baptisms. God, what would it look like for all of us to leave our homes after worship, after hearing teaching, to come together, to celebrate together the lives of people in our community who have chosen to follow you? God, we have an opportunity in this season to trust you, to put our hope in you, to do things different, to build our church in a different way. And so, God, we try that. We see what happens. We put our hope and our trust in you. Father, we thank you for these scriptures that remind us that the church can be anywhere and everywhere for anyone and everyone. So help us to build bigger tables. And God, for those times that we have built those walls, help us to have the strength and the resolve to rip them down. Help us to repent of that. And help us to build those bigger tables and invite people to know your goodness and your love. It is your name that we pray today. Amen.